Hi there, welcome to Higher Vision's online campus. Whether you're joining us through our app, YouTube, Facebook, or any other digital channel, we're glad that you've joined us today. Tune into our Valencia campus for Pastor Jared Ming's latest message, Hands On. Enjoy. So we're going to dive into a message today that I've entitled Hands On. And uh, before I, I read our theme verse, I like to start with something funny. And I heard the story about two men that were arguing about whether there was baseball in heaven. Do we have any baseball fans? Come on. Any Dodger fans in the house? All right. Any Angel fans in the house? Two. Okay. Pray for them. All right. So these men were arguing about whether there's baseball in heaven. And um, they made a pact because they couldn't agree. They said, we're just going to agree to disagree, but here's the pact. If one of us die before the other one, they have to come back and tell the other one if there really is baseball in heaven. Sure enough, a couple weeks later, one of them dies, goes to heaven, and he held his word, and somehow he came back. I don't know how it worked out, but he came back and visited his friend, and the friend's like, whoa, you're back. He said, yes, I came back. I honored my word, and I'm going to tell you, I have good news and bad news. He says, well, what's the good news? He says, the good news, you were right. There is baseball in heaven. He's like, yes, I knew it. He said, well, what's the bad news? He said, the bad news is you're scheduled to pitch on Friday. Okay. Yeah. How many are thankful for heaven? Come on. <laughs> uh, well, you know, today, uh, I want you to do something. Not only is our church family here at the nine o'clock service in this auditorium, we have our campuses happening around the country and uh, around the area, but we also have our church family that's joining us online. And today we have people in places like Fresno, uh, Colorado, Florida. Come on, can you welcome all your church family that's joining us around the country and around the world? Isn't that cool? Today we're going to talk about being hands-on. And how many have ever met someone that is just hands-on? In other words, they have to get right in the middle of it. They have to be involved. They have to take an active role. Anybody here a hands-on person? Come on. Well, I want to talk to you today about a theme that's in the Bible. Now, I want to set this up. In Hebrews chapter 6, it tells us that there are several foundational truths or theologies or teachings of Christ that we all should know, and the Bible says that we shouldn't keep talking about them because we should move on into maturity. What I realized is that one of those teachings, or a lot of those teachings, many of us don't really know that well. Now, if I were to ask you what are the foundational teachings of, in the book of Hebrews, kind of the main teachings of the Bible that as a new believer you should know, most of us would know a lot of those, like the resurrection, right, baptism. But there's one that's in there that I think a lot of people don't really know or understand. And I want to talk about it today. It's the theme of our message, and it's called the laying on of hands. A lot of new Christians or a lot of people that have been in church for years don't really know what it means or why the, the, the foundational teaching of Christ, the laying on of hands, is important. And today I want to talk about the laying on of hands. Now, the idea of laying on of hands is when a believer, a Christian, lays their hand on another person with a spiritual purpose. And so today I want to talk to you about being hands-on. Come on, somebody say amen. 
and we're going to learn what it means, why it's important, and we're going to use a scripture that's found in the New, <coughs> excuse me, in the New Testament. So I want you all to stand. We're going to read this verse together, then we're going to dive into our theme today. We're going to learn a little bit. I'm putting on the teaching hat today. Is that all right? Yes. We're going to learn some stuff. We're going to go to James. If you have a Bible, wherever you're getting your scripture, maybe you're getting it from your Bible, maybe you're getting it from your iPhone, maybe you're getting it from your iPad. If you have neither one, then look with your eyelids. And um, we're going to go to James chapter 5. All right, cheap joke. We used it. All right. James 5 says this. I want you all to read it with me. Come on, out loud. All of you online as well. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Come on, I want to hear you. And the Lord will make you well. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This passage is used often when you're talking about laying on of hands, when you're sick, and that's why at Higher Vision, in most services, in the middle of the worship, one of our worship leaders will say, hey, if you have a need today, as worship continues, go to the side of the auditorium, and we have prayer partners that are there, and they'll have you come to them, and you'll say, hey, I need healing in my body, I need, and what will they do? They'll lay their hands on you, like we see in scripture, to pray for you. They're getting hands-on. But we, we, what we don't know is that we're all to be hands-on in our faith and in our relationship with God and with others. So I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to us today. Lord, I, I am excited to be home. There's nothing like home. And Lord, it was great to get to my house and sleep in my bed, but God, there's something that comes alive within me when I step into this home, because this is our home. This is your home. And I pray, awaken within us, Lord, all of the foundational truths. We need this principle that we're learning today because it's part of the foundation of our faith. So, Lord, build on that foundation. Why don't you put your hand on your heart and say this. Say, God, speak to me. I want to be hands-on. Now, before we say amen, just lean in to God. Holy Spirit, breathe in this room. Anoint everything spoken and anoint our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody shout amen. Amen. You may be seated today. What I want to do today is I want to give you three thoughts about being hands-on. The Bible says that we're, going to, we're to lay hands on the sick. <coughs> and we're going to talk about some of these passages in the Bible. And we're going to use this passage in James to kind of learn three principles. So I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, the first thing that we need to understand, if we're going to build that foundation, we're going to have the right foundational teachings of Christ, is that we need to understand that we're to be hands-on in prayer. We're to be hands-on in prayer. Let's go to James. We read it just a moment ago. James chapter 5, verse 14 says, when you're sick, when you have a need, call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. What's interesting here is this is the idea. Physical connection is an essential part of prayer. Maybe you never thought of it that way. Physical connection is an essential part of prayer. Now some of you are saying, well, pastor, you're kind of taking it too far. Are you sure that's theologically correct? 
Um, you know, this is talking about just the elders of the church. Well, listen, if you want to see this principle, you need to understand that, that Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples, and this is the thing or what we call the great commission that he gave to the whole church. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, how many here would say you're a disciple of Jesus? If you're a disciple of Jesus, then he gave you a great commission. And in that great commission in Mark chapter um, 16, he says, go into the world, preach the gospel to all nations. In other words, every one of us is supposed to go out and share our faith with others. And he says, not only preach the gospel and make disciples, but then he says in Mark chapter 6, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. So let me give it to you in context. Jesus says, if you're my disciple, make sure you go into your world, your sphere of influence, tell people about me, get people saved, make disciples, and also make sure that you lay hands on people when you pray for them because they're sick and they need to be healed. You didn't get that. You didn't realize that, did you? That one of the essential principles of being a Christian is that we're to be hands-on in prayer. When was the la- Let me ask this question. When was the last time you laid your hands on somebody and prayed for them? I'm trying to awaken within us a, a, a foundational principle of our faith. And what I began to realize is there's a lot of Christians that can't go on to maturity, as it says in Hebrews, because they haven't even built the foundation yet. And one of the things God has called us to do is to be people of prayer. How many know we're all to be people of prayer? And so the, the, the important part is that you need to know that there's a physical connection to prayer. So you and I should be people that when we find the person in the cubicle next to us or we're on the field with our, our kids playing soccer and we're talking to that, that person, the neighbor down the street that has a son or daughter playing the same sport, and they talk about their need and we say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. It's not just something we go do in our prayer closet, that we should actually stop and say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I join hands with you? Or can I put my hand on your shoulder? Because there's something physically connected to prayer. You and I need to be hands-on in Prayer, y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Come on, we're learning some things today. Amen? So I want to encourage you, the next time you're in a situation where someone's in a need, don't just stop and pray, but lay hands on somebody in prayer. Now, you don't have to be all weird about it. Come on, how many know some people can get weird when they pray? I grew up in a Pentecostal situation, in a Pentecostal church, sometimes people can get a little aggressive when they pray. Come on, anybody ever been to a Pentecostal church where someone got a little aggressive when they prayed? Come on. And they put their hand on your head. They don't just set your hand on your head. They like plop their hand on your head. And they're like, bam, like that. How many know what I'm talking? They're like, in the name of Jesus. And you're like, ah, okay. It happens. People get a little excited. Come on. People get excited about other things. How many think it's not too bad for people to get excited about prayer? So we'll give a little grace, right? Come on, if people can get excited about football, how many think it's okay to get excited about prayer? All right, just making sure you're all awake. So we'll give a little grace for people. But let me tell you something. Even though sometimes we've seen people get a little aggressive, they're applying a principle that God says we all should have because every disciple should not only share their faith and every disciple should not only try to make disciples for Christ, but we should be laying hands on each other because there's power in prayer. Come on, somebody say amen. So be hands-on in prayer. Let's go, to, let's go to point number two. Point number two is be hands-on in relationship. Come on, everybody say that with me. Be hands-on in relationship. I want to read 
to you the next part of the passage that we're looking at today. Because the Bible talks about in James that when prayer takes place, we need to be laying hands on each other. We need to be praying for each other. All right? And then immediately, notice, it goes to this. It's talking about hands-on in prayer. Immediately, it says this. So confess your sins to each other. Now, I know some of you got nervous with that one. How many know that that one makes us nervous? Come on. Only two of you sin out there. The rest of you are perfect. It's good to know. We live in a culture we don't want to share because we live in the, the culture, right, we learned a couple weeks ago, we're hypocrites. And hypocrisy isn't, making, isn't, isn't sinning. Hypocrisy is trying to make yourself look better than you really are. We learned that last, a couple weeks ago, right? Because we live in social media culture where we all post our, 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 all the, the good things in life, right? When all of the edited stuff stays, right, on the cutting room floor. Come on, I'm just making sure you're all awake today. Amen? <laughs> yeah. All right, so he, he says, if you're going to pray, make sure that you're laying hands on each other in prayer. That's part of physical connection is part of prayer. And then immediately he says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now I'm going to stop and pause right there. The first thing we discover here, and it's a, it's a big point that people miss when they read this passage, is that prayer is about connection and relationship. Because let me tell you something. You can't lay your hands on somebody and you can't talk and have a conversation with somebody if you're not close to them. I know it seems simple. I know it's like one of those Scooby-Doo moments. Oh, Raggy, no duh. You can't be distant. Let me say it this way. Prayer is not something that we should do at a distance. Can I say that again? Prayer is not something we should do at a distance. In fact, we shouldn't just pray alone. That's why you and I need to be, need to be connected in circles and in small groups. That's why we, we talk about it every week at church. Get plugged into a connection group. Get plugged into a, a circle. Someplace, why? Because you need people around you. There are things that God can do in a circle that he doesn't do in a row. Because in a circle, you're able to share with each other. In a circle, you're able to lay hands on each other and hold hands together and pray and agree. And in that situation, the Bible says that when you, you share with each other your needs, when you pray for each other, you will be healed. Come on, anybody feel like that there's moments in life you'd like to be healed? Because here's what's interesting. We go to God for forgiveness, but we go to each other for healing. Now, I know God is the healer, but God uses people to bring healing. And so being hands-on isn't just about praying for each other. It's about being in connection with each other. You know, because, you know, as we, you know, encourage each other by joining hands, putting, you know, have you ever been with someone that's gone through something? What would you do? You kind of put your hand on their back to pat them on the back. You know, there's different love languages, right? Right? How many know there's the love language um, and it's words of encouragement? How many of you are words of encouragement uh, people? All right. I thought I might get an amen because you're words of encouragement people, but I didn't. Okay. <laughs> How many know that there are people that are, their love language is acts of service? So if you love someone, you do stuff. That's, how many are, are acts of service people? Okay, how many of you are physical touch people? Now, if you know me, um, and, and if you don't know me, I'll tell you a little bit about me. I'm, one of my love languages, physical touch. If you come up after service and say, hi, I'm not going to be like, hello, nice to have you here today. I'm going to reach out and grab your hand, shake your hand. I'm probably going to pat you on the back as you go by. I might even, if you lean in, I'll give you a hug, you know, and, and it's just because that's the way I'm built. And what I begin to do is I begin to think about this passage, and I begin to realize that I think that when it comes to prayer, 
that relationship and physical touch is a spiritual prayer language. It's a spiritual love language. It's a way that you and I connect with each other, that we need to be connected because it's in a circle that you will find healing. It's in a circle that you'll find hope because we need to be hands-on in prayer and we need to be hands-on in relationship. Now, let me show you something about this passage that I had never seen before, and I want to point it out to you. Maybe you haven't noticed this. The Bible says that we're to pray, laying hands on each other, that we're to get connected relationally by sharing our needs with each other, by laying hands on each other, whether that's joining hands or putting our hands around each other's shoulder, however it is. And through that process, we're going to find healing. And now look what it says immediately following. Almost as if two plus two equals. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. How many would like to be productive with your prayer life? How many would like to see God actively answer your prayers? How many would like, let me ask it this way, how many would like when you get to heaven, Jesus be talking to Peter and say, you know what, I'm telling you, Frank, that guy was an awesome prayer. He was a powerful, effective prayer. How many would like that to be what Jesus says about you? Well, what it tells us is, is if you want to be powerful in your prayer life, you need to be laying hands on people. You need to be connected relationally. Because it's through the process of relationship, through laying on of hands, that you become the earnest, righteous person that produces wonderful results in prayer. And then it gives us an example that I've never seen in this light. Let's go on to the next verse. It says, and it gives us like, this is an example of someone who did that. His name was Elijah. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, there was no, that, that no rain would fall, no rain fell for three and a half years. I mean, that's a pretty powerful prayer life. And then when he needed it to rain, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Now, when I read this, I thought, well, wait a minute. We were talking about connection and prayer. We're talking about relationship and prayer. Hmm, I wonder if Elijah was like that. And then I went back and I read the story. And do you know that after it hadn't rained for three and a half years, when he decided to call the rain back from heaven, you know what he did? He got in a prayer circle. His servant was right there with him. And he prayed with his servant, and he said, Lord, I pray that you would send the rain. And then when he was done, he looked at his servant, and he said, run over there and look over the ocean and see if there's any clouds. And the servant ran and looked for the cloud, and there was no cloud. And he comes running back, and he said, no cloud. He goes, okay, let's pray again. He prayed seven times. And on the seventh time, the servant kept running back every time, looking to see if there was a cloud. Finally, on the seventh time, he ran over and he came back. He said, Elijah, Elijah, guess what? I just saw a cloud ascending from the, the ocean, and it was the size of a man's hand. And then Elijah, Elijah said, the rain is coming. I began to think about it. What would have happened if Elijah hadn't had a prayer partner? What would have happened if Elijah would have prayed twice and then he just would have quit? But instead he had someone to say, no, 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 we need to keep praying. How many of us have stopped on prayer two and we never made it to prayer seven and we never got our miracle because we didn't understand that we need to be hands-on in relationship and we need to be hands-on in prayer? You see, your seventh prayer may be your breakthrough. 
Your fifth prayer may be your breakthrough. But the way that we get to those breakthroughs is that we have to be hands-on in prayer and we got to have relationship. Come on, somebody say amen. Is that not cool? I've never seen that before. Now, I want to give you the last point, and I'm going to tell you, when we get to this last point, I'm going to give you some sub-points in here to kind of explain it. But we're going to get to a passage of something I have never seen before in this light in the Bible. I've never heard it taught anywhere. And I'm excited because we're going to take communion together at the end. And when I got, when I got this, as I was on the plane working on my sermon on the way home, the Holy Spirit started really stirring my heart. I'm excited to share this with you because I promise you that you're going to learn something that I believe you'll never forget. It'll be a part of your life forever and ever. We've learned to be hands-on in what? And to be hands-on in what? Now I'm going to give you a word where we're going to be hands-on. It's going to kind of throw you off a little bit, but let me explain it. Those of you watching online, and that's number three, be hands-on with transference. Be hands-on with transference. Let me real quickly go back to James, and then I'm going to break this down. James says that you're to call for the elders of the church to pray for you, and they're to lay their hands on you, anointing you with oil. That's why I'm saying laying hands upon people, because you can't anoint someone with oil without laying your hand on them. This idea is that you take a little anointing oil, you put it on your finger. Some people I've seen put a lot. They stick it on their hand, and then they anoint you. They put it on your body as they lay their hands on you when they pray in the name of the Lord. If we go back to, to the book of Hebrews, where it says one of the foundational teachings of Christ is the laying on of hands. If you take the phrase laying on in the Greek, here's what it means. It means the process of transferring or imparting through bodily touch. That's what it means. The, let me say it again. The transferring or imparting of something through bodily touch. So I began to do some research um, into uh, scholars and, and to the, the custom of the day. I discovered that the Jewish people, when they learned or heard of the idea of laying on of hands, at least three, maybe four things would pop into their brain because they understood that when you laid your hands on someone, it wasn't just um, laying your hands on someone. It was a symbolic act of a transference to transfer one thing to another. Y'all with me? Now, how many know we can transfer things in life? Have you ever met someone that's a germaphobe? Some of you are like, I'm one of those. <laughs> Come on, have you ever met? I had a friend that literally would have antibacterial with him, and he, he would use that antibacterial so much that his hands would crack all the time because he was just freaked out that he was going to touch someone and they were going to transfer a disease or a cold or, come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Some of you won't even raise your hand because you're afraid there's something in the air. <laughs> Transferring. Transference. Now, if you talk to a Jewish person in the day, when you talked about laying on of hands, there was a transference that took place. A symbol of of a transferring happening. And I want to show you the four things in the Bible that we see throughout Scripture where transference was a, it was a symbol of transferring taking place through laying on of hands. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. All right. Here's the first thing. Now, we've learned that, that we need to be hands-on in prayer, hands-on in relationship. Now we're going to talk about hands-on in transference. 
So let me show you the first one. When you lay your hands on somebody, it can be a sign of transferring a blessing. Now, I'm not saying that you have the blessing and you're giving it to somebody, but it's a sign that there's a transference of blessing upon them, whether it comes from God through you or it comes directly to them, I don't know, but there's a transference of blessing. I'll give you some examples. In the Bible, we see it over and over again that when a father wanted to bless a son, that he would call the son in and he would lay his hands on the son and he would pray over the son and the blessing would be placed upon the son, a transference of blessing. We see it when um, Isaac blessed Jacob. Remember when he snuck in and dressed like his brother Esau and he laid his hands on him and prayed for him and there was a transference of blessing upon his life. We see the same thing when Jacob prayed over Joseph and his sons. So I'm not saying that one person actually transfers a blessing from their life to the other, but God has this way of taking what's on someone and putting it on somebody else. Remember when Moses went up the mountain and they anointed the 70 elders and the Bible says that God took what was on Moses and he placed it on the 70. So when we lay our hands on people, the, the Lord can use that as a vehicle to transfer blessing upon their life. That's why we need to be physically connected in prayer. Come on, somebody say me. How many would like to get some blessings? So it's a sign of transferring a blessing. Let me show you a second one. Now, I couldn't say this very well, and if it's not grammatically correct, don't judge. Two of you laugh. The rest of you are judging. Okay, here we go. When you lay your hands on somebody, another thing of transference is it's a sign of an appointing for a calling. I tried to figure out a better way to say it, and I, I probably could, but for the lack of time. Let me explain it this way. In the Bible, we see in the Old Testament and the New that when someone was being uh, uh, set aside or set apart to do something, how many know that all of us are, are set aside to do something? It could be being a lawyer. It could be being a coach. We all know that as Christians, we're set aside to share our faith. We're set aside to be a parent. We can be set aside to be in, in a vocational ministry as a pastor or a teacher. We're all called to things. And in the Bible, when someone like David, I'll give you an example. David was a shepherd, but God was going to call him, appoint him to be the next king of Israel. So what happens? Samuel, the prophet, shows up. This is found in the book of Samuel. And he takes a little oil, he places his hand on David, and now David has been set aside um, for a calling and a purpose of God. Every time someone was set aside for a purpose, hands were laid on them. So when we're laying hands on each other, God can use that as a way to release calling and purpose in our lives. The same thing happened in the New Testament. Remember, Paul was feeling this calling like he needed to go on the mission field and be a missionary. And so what happened? This is a perfect example of what we're teaching today. He got together with his small group or his circle. And the Bible says that they fasted and they prayed. And what happened? At the end, they laid their hands on Paul and anointed him to send him out into the mission field. So when we lay hands on each other, there's this transferring of calling. How many want to step into God's calling? And we've got to be a part of a circle. We've got to be laying hands on each other in prayer. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Another example in the Bible of transference is a sign of imparting gifts from God. Where literally God will stir up or release a gift in our lives. I'll give you an example. I'll read a, qu a quick scripture for you. This is where a spiritual father was praying over a spiritual son. Now, we've been talking this year about family first, right? And I pray, if you haven't seen that message, go to the website. You need to look it up, family first. Our theme this year is that God has called all of us 
to be some kind of spiritual parent or mentor to somebody. Because that's the way that God's going to remove the curse from the land, right? Remember, I I preached on that, that the last thing God said in the Old Testament was, I'm going to send the spirit of Elijah, and he's going to stir up that spirit, and through that spirit and that preaching, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the word there is actually parents. I'm going to turn the hearts of parents to children, and then when they do that, children are going to turn to the parents, and I'll be able to do that, and by doing that, I'm going to stop the curse on the land. And then God doesn't speak for 400 years until the New Testament. And the first thing he says when he speaks through the angel to Zechariah is he says, hey, I'm going to send a spirit of Elijah. And through his preaching, it's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And then we see it lived out because God sent his son, Jesus, to die for the world. And because the father turned his heart to the children, now all of the children have turned their hearts to the Father. And that how God has called all of us to be mentors and to care for people and to love people, right? And so that's our theme, having a heart to mentor. And so as we dive into our passage, we see now a spiritual father, Paul, talking about his spiritual son. Now here's what's cool. Timothy was just a young kid who loved God. But watch what happens. He says, that is, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I, what does it say? Laid my hands on you. So when he laid his hands on him and prayed for him, it released these gifts, gifts to be a pastor, gifts to be a teacher, gifts to be a shepherd. There are spiritual gifts that are stirred up when we lay hands on each other. We see it all through the book of Acts. In fact, let me tell you this, the the gift of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you get saved, everybody's a Christian. Everybody has the Holy Spirit. But there's what's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where you can pray in spiritual language and you're powered by the Spirit in in a powerful way. And the Bible says that every time people would get saved in the New Testament, you know the first thing the apostles would ask? Have you been filled or have you been empowered with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And if they said no, they would immediately lay their hands on them and pray for them. Because laying on of hands is a sign of the transference of spiritual gifts. Come on, somebody say amen. Somebody know we need to be laying hands on each other and praying for each other. I don't know about you, but this is awesome. Because there's a lot of us that don't know this is foundational to our Christian faith. Now, I'm going to show you the last thing, and I'm going to tell you, when I saw this, it blew my mind. Some of you are like, well, I didn't think you had much of a mind anyway, Pastor. <clears throat> well, what little mind I have left. You ready? Come on, y'all are quiet today. Just making sure you're all awake. Come on, somebody say amen. Now, I'm going to say this. A lot of times people go, why does he make us say amen all the time? Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen. Which the word amen means so be it. So sometimes, a lot of times, I'm, I'm having you say amen because I'm awakening your conscience so that you can say I agree with what this promise is so I can receive it. Y'all with me? All right, all right, here we go. The last thing is that when the Jewish people thought of laying on of hands, they didn't just think of, of what we've talked about so far, but they also think and they realized that it was a sign, a symbol of the transference of guilt. Now, I want to show you a verse in the Bible, and I want to teach on it for just a second. <clears throat> Let's go to Le- Leviticus chapter 16. How many of you have ever read through the book of Leviticus? How many of you say, that's not your favorite book? <laughs> it's not my favorite book. Okay, here, we'll keep going. 
Now watch what happens. This is about the day of atonement, the day that the people of God would find that their sins could be forgiven. Aaron, high priest, shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. Now watch what it says. Putting them on the heads of the goat. Let me stop there. So what's happening is, is that when the, the priest would pray over the goat, he would put his hand on the goat, and he would then pray that all the sins of the people would be transferred to the goat. All the guilt would be transferred to this sacrifice. Putting his hand on the head of the goat and shall then send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. Everybody say a suitable man. Come on, you can do better than that. I want to hear it all the way from Arizona. Come on, say suitable man. So let me explain. What would happen is once a year, the children of Israel would all come together and they were to confess their sins to God. And here's how they would do it publicly. So a family would line up in front of the priest. They would walk up in front of the priest. And one by one, they would begin to confess their sins out loud in front of the, piece, of the priest and the family. All the things they had done that year. How many know that had to be an interesting uh, time of worship? Go on, imagine that. Your wife is standing there and she's like, you did What? Come on, how many parents have ever had that moment? You did what? Come on, they told you when they're older and it was too late to get, they get, for them to get in trouble. And after they preached, or after they, they confessed all their sins, then the priest would take a, a goat. Now, here's what most people don't know. that On this sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for the year, there were two goats. There was what's called the, the Lord's goat, and there was the scapegoat. The Lord's goat was the goat then, or the animal, the that was sacrificed, they would, they would cut the animal's uh, jugular, the blood would be shed, then they would take that and that would be then burned on the altar. Sometimes those were eaten as a meal, but the shedding of the blood was so that the sins were forgiven. How many are thankful for forgiveness? Amen. Then, after they did the first, the Lord's goat, they would take the scapegoat. And then they would lay their hand on the scapegoat, and when they did, all the sins of the people would be on the goat... And watch what would happen. They sought for a suitable man. Now, let me tell you what the word suitable man means in the Hebrew. It means a fit man, a man in shape. So they sought for a man among them who was really in shape. And here's why. Because goats have built inside a natural, instinctive homing device. Because if you take a goat out into the woods and you go back home, that goat will find its way back home. So they couldn't just have anybody take the goat out into the wilderness because here's the thing. The, the goat had all the sins of the people. How many are, are, are thankful that your sins don't come wandering back into your house? How many don't want to be reminded of all the things you've, been done, you've done? So they needed a fit man who was capable, who was strong, who had the knowledge that could climb a mountain go through a ravine, go out into the woods, over the river and through the woods, past grandmother's house, he would go, and he would take the goat so far away that there was no way the goat could find its way home within that year because God wants us to be free from our sins, not looking at our sins, knowing that they're hanging over us. 
So now I want you to take the communion elements out of your pocket. I want the worship team to come. I want our musicians to come. As I began to meditate on this passage, what I began to discover is that God is such a good God. He's such a good God that he wanted to create a method that you and I would always know three things. Because he said we're to take communion. It's a new covenant he made with us that we're to do all the time. That's why we do it once a month corporately. And we have communion elements on the sides over here where any time during worship you can go do it every week. Why does God want us to have communion? Here's why I believe. Because he wants us to understand the power of hands-on. He wants us to understand the power of the transference that happens through hands-on. Because you see, when we put our hands on this bread and we put our hands on this cup, it reminds us of three things. It reminds us, first of all, that there was a sacrifice that, where the blood was shed so the sins could be forgiven. And it wasn't a goat, but it was the Lamb of God who was slain for the foundation of the earth. Jesus Christ, when he hung on that cross, became the Lamb. And when his blood was shed... He covered our sins. How many say amen for that? But not only that, the Bible says that the the bread, in fact, peel away that top piece. In just a second, we're going to take this together. That bread, when you hold that piece of bread in your hand, it reminds you of his body. And you know what the Bible says? That when he hung on the cross, that all the iniquities, all the sins of the world were transferred upon him. Every time, look at this. It's not happening now because if you already accepted Christ, your sins are forgiven, they're all gone. But every time we grab a hold of this bread and we hold this cup, it's a reminder of the symbol that our guilt has been transferred. And then if you go to the next step, you think about it because here's the thing. If I took my car and accidentally ran into yours on the way out after church, hopefully you wouldn't cuss at me. But there would be a dent, and every time you went to your car, you would see that dent to remind you of what had happened, what I'd done. But how many are thankful for body shops, amen? Because if my insurance took care of your car and took it to a body shop and removed the dent, then guess what? Every time you come back and look at your car, instead of thinking about what I had done, instead of thinking about the dent, you wouldn't remember it anymore. Why? Because the dent is gone. And so God loved you enough not only to forgive you the Lord's sacrifice, and he loves you enough not only to transfer your guilt, but he loves you enough that he sent a fit, suitable man who knew how to go over the mountain and through the woods and past grandmother's house to take your sin as far as the east is from the west where there will never, ever be a dent in you again because when you accept Jesus, every sin, past, present, and future are gone. So every time we take communion, we're reminded of the foundational principle of the power of hands-on, that we've been forgiven, And our sins are so far gone that they can never find their way back again because of Jesus, the suitable fit man. 